Welcome to another edition of We Need to Talk About Movies. Brought to you by Banterflix.com. And now, here's your host, Jim McClain. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I am indeed your host, Jim McLean, Editor-in-Chief of the Banderflix Movie Review website. Welcome to the latest episode of We Need to Talk About Movies. If this is your first time checking out this podcast, then welcome to The Madness. The title's pretty self-explanatory. Each week we talk about a specific movie. It might be a new release, it might be a cult classic, it might be a film that you've never heard of before but we gather together some contributors and we chat about the film. And sometimes we get a little bit spoilerific. I think that's definitely the case with the film we're talking about this evening, but we try to have a bit of fun in the process and hopefully you enjoy it too. Now, this week is a bit of a special recording because this is an episode that is taking part in the Dark Hedges International Film Festival, a horror film festival that we are programming that is taking place virtually here in Belfast from the 24th to 31st of October. And I thought that since it's a horror festival and since Halloween is nearly upon us, I thought we'd talk about a horror movie. And I thought we'd talk about a new horror movie, one that's just had its world premiere at the London Film Festival, and that is Rose, A Love Story, directed by Jennifer Sheridan. And uh, on this episode, I'm going to be joined by Claire McCulloch, who's from the Ormo Community Cinema, and local blogger Neil Sedgwick. We're going to be talking to them shortly. But just before we get to that, I got a chance to speak to two of the producers of Rose, A Love Story, Sarah Huxley and April Kelly. And before we get into that interview, Let's have a look at the film's trailer. You're a good man. I'll love you forever. Why are you being weird? Mm. I want you to take me out. And what was the food like? Like really fancy fruit. <laughs> Come on. What? Eat, please. You know, like, um, uh, lychee. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair, yeah. fancy fruit. What else? Grilled octopus. What is the weather like? So warm that you could sit outside and you could smell all the food cooking on the grill and smell the salt water coming from the sea. There's just no way that I'm going to leave you on your own for two days, the I'm thing sorry. Is, I want you to. What if something happens to you? It wouldn't be your fault. Rose? Help me! Help me, someone! Help me, help me! I found someone. It's a girl. Oh, my God. We need to get rid of her. Why do you live like this? The windows, the lights, the traps. Rose? So that's a clip of Rose, a love story, and I'm joined now by two of the film's producers, Sarah Huxley and April Kelly. Hello to you both ladies. It is Hello. the world premiere of the film, and I'll start with yourself, April. 
tell our viewers and our listeners as much as they need to know about Rose, a love story, going in to watch it. It's always, yeah, it's tricky not to make a silly, a silly answer <laughs> um, So you are about to see a gothic love story. You are about to be, you're about to get really invested in this couple who are battling um, an illness between them, uh, Rose with this illness, um, and it has a vampire twist. <laughs> there we go. That's all good. I, we're not. I, I thought we would get through this without mentioning the word vampire because I know that's a thing that there is in the film. There's no. I don't think. I haven't watched it yesterday. There's not an outright mention to the word vampire. Feel free to correct me, ladies. No, there isn't. But we we've been trying to keep it under wraps since okay. we wrapped, and uh, and it's just how it's been described, and and all of the reviews are coming out, which is it, it's good. It, it's good that they are they they are acknowledging that um, uh, because there hasn't been any any vampire type stories, and and it's really hard to beat Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So we're quite up against it. Um, but that that nuance of the vampire actually represents so many other um, uh, elements to it. It doesn't it doesn't mean just vampire. We saw in one of the reviews that um, it was parallel to uh, dealing with with a loved one with a terminal illness and how you tackle that in a relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. That's kind of one of the big things I picked up from watching it yesterday on the player. Sarah, can I ask yourself, because this is your your company, Mini Productions, if I'm correct, how did this, how did you guys get involved with this and how did this end up being the first feature that you had both produced? And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong there. No, 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 you're right, you're right. Yeah, so April and I have um, run Mini Productions for a good few years now together. April founded the company in 2012, but we sort of came together and started working on short films, actually, in 2014 and 15. Um, we love a short film, Jim. That's how all good ideas start. And it was really how we we started as young producers to test our skills and learn um, how to operate and also test out ideas and work with new filmmakers and really exciting writers and directors and talent. And the short films just basically grew over the over the past few years. And we started to work with bigger and bigger talent, better and better scripts more exciting things were happening. And uh, we met Jen uh, quite a few years ago at Aesthetic Film Festival, one of our, one of our short films, uh, one of our first ever short films was there, a dear short film of ours um, called T for Two. And she was there with one of her shorts and we just uh, hit it off and stayed friends with her basically for quite a few years. Um, and then we actually shot a, horror a very short short horror with her um for a bit of fun and then her agent rob part of the artist partnership and the development partnership um she she put us in front of him and said you know i really would love these producers on this when they were kind of a little bit further along the project they had matt um they rep matt as a writer and they had matt and sophie on board and jen and we were i guess the final piece of the puzzle um and it was just a really great team basically and we all hit it off and that was it i mean i think the script landed on our desk in september october well no we sorry we got the green light september october it was the beginning of that summer that we had uh, first been chatting about it and it all became real in september october and we just got back 
from LA to shoot another short because apparently that's what we do. Mad things. Um, and we just have a few months to put it all together and the rest is history. If I could ask, and this is a question I often ask directors, how they make that jump from shorts to features, how they find that. I'm interested from yourselves, from a producing point of view, did you find much of a, a difference for yourselves? Was it a case of, can, I know I always talk to directors, it's more about, you know, working on a short helps you with time management and et cetera, mm -hmm. things like that, and how you have to know what you have to get shot through a daily process. From a producing point of view, Give me an insight about that that jump from shorts to feature. Want to kick it off, sir? Yeah, I mean, look, there's the there's the practical element of the financing structure is very different. You run the accounts differently. You can you can contract people differently. You run payrolls differently. You're doing normally using the tax credit. So there's a whole load of stuff like that that is a big jump mm. for producers and you have to you have to understand it and get your head around it you know or have another producer who does um and and we learned so much in that process so you know because you're you're, you're ultimately you're really making a, a product in a feature film that you can sell and whereas shorts a lot of the time it's like you might not make any money from them and it's about the festivals and the accolades there is a difference in the way that features are packaged and certainly in the distribution side and it's you know it's got a different journey but um, we had worked on bigger stuff, April and I. We really pr like worked hard to freelance on much bigger shows with much bigger budgets and push our own shorts to bigger budgets and be more and more challenging and shooting all different mediums and genres so that we were so ready for a feature film. Um, the nice way of saying it is it's just like a short film, but longer. Yeah. But it does have its challenges, even from the scripting stage. I'd also add that, I mean, from the get-go, this was this was our goal, uh, including LFF. We didn't, we didn't think it would happen, especially on our debut feature. But um, I think Sarah and I, Sarah might agree, uh, we really pride ourselves on, on the way we produce uh, short films. Um, we really do think about the the entire um, in the entire uh, product, even though you know you're not going to make any money, um, even from how you present that and how you find an audience because uh, directors and writers are, are very right, rightly so trying to get every penny on the screen whereas actually you need a few pennies for people to be actually be able to see the film because that's what you're doing you're trying to you're trying to elevate your own career um and then even through that like short films have become um it's, they've got a lot of worth now. And we now have five of our short films on Amazon Prime. And that's not because we want to make our money. Well, I mean, we would like to make our money back, but, not, but that's never going to happen, Jim. That's, that's, that's not the Prime. reason. That's not the reason. It's for the art and the integrity. I know this. Don't worry. I understand this. It's okay. But to have it on, on a platform like that, that's, um, it's huge, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it was yourself. So you mentioned they're kind of like, ultimately you have to sell this product you know how are you feeling right now we're coming through an environment that's changing you know week by week we we look at kind of what's happening to the traditional cinematic distribution route and April you've mentioned there Amazon Prime you know what what way does that kind of now because 
I was reading this finished at about March, and I'm assuming that includes post and things like that. You didn't finish filming in March. That would just be too ironic when you watch this film because you look at Sam and Rose, they are the self-distancing, social distancing oh, king yeah. and queens. I think there's there's definitely an irony watching it there. But for you guys, the, what's your kind of thoughts on the future right now with this film? Like, where do we go with Rose, a love story beyond london film festival what do you have you that planned out do you kind of know is there things that you just can't tell me right now but what way is that market from your perspective changing in this i hate to bring up covid but the the kind of covid world that we're currently oh, living it's in. just a big elephant in the room isn't it it's like the positive side of you goes well people will always still want experiences and i think cinema has become really exciting in that you know, there's different ways to experience film now. There's interactive cinema, there's cinemas that make it more of an experience. So hopefully, even if that slither of cinema survives, you know, there'll be something because people do crave like human interaction or like leaving their front door. Um, but the VOD platforms are so powerful and it does make your film be able to be viewed worldwide. So it's a, it's, the landscape of film is ever evolving and I think our hope is just to get it seen by as many people as possible but um and and you know right off the back of this festival um to get it out there luckily we've had quite a few people reaching out and excited by the film and that's what really matters to us yeah we're in a really good place like we we're just holding out for the moment I think what you've got now is uh, sales agent and distributors really in need of that new content um, but potentially not having a huge amount of money that they might have had to buy it um, I think we're, we're taking it steady so we've actually been very surprised about uh, the amount of people um, having interest in this um, and I think what will be key is not to rush it for a Halloween release um, but potentially maybe build around an anti-Valentine's Day release. <laughs> um, no, but we are, we're, we're very fortunate as, as one of um, the very few production companies that has a completed product um, out of COVID. Out yeah. of COVID. Not even there COVID, but ready in time. Yeah. <laughs> pandemic. It's, I think everybody's just lost track. Look, I know we are pushed for time, but there is two questions I wanted to ask. And, Particularly wanted to ask you, April, because I want to talk about kind of the fact that the film's getting its world premiere at the London Film Festival. You mentioned just as we started to record, you have a personal connection with the London Film Festival. You have a history with the festival. So kind of to be to be getting the platform and the film's world premiere here, what does that mean for you? And what, what does that mean from a from many productions point of view to have that platform um, as a showcase for the film? Yeah, um, yeah, so I can't cry. Uh, it, it's it, the BFI, you, you enter this industry and all you know is the BFI, that's the pin, pinnacle of, of, um, of British cinema. And, um, and similar to what Sarah was just saying, we, we really went and freelanced at as many places as possible. And, and that should include somewhere like the BFI, which, um, which is a distributor and, and, and has this incredible festival. Um, so I started off, I did two years uh, as part of their social media team, which is so fascinating and which is why I'm, I'm, I'm so interested in the way that whether it's a short film or a feature film or when we do branded content, how you formulate that social media plan. And then I did another two years um, uh, 
producing their red carpet and interviews, which again is fascinating because you see how the press team, how hard the press team um, pull everything together and schedule it. Um, they've been incredible, uh, an incredible support. Um, last year, I was part of the BFI Flair mentorship. They've, they've screened a couple of our films in, in Flair. And uh, it's been a really wonderful journey and, and one that we hope we can continue with them. Yourself, Sarah? Anything you want to add or? Just, just over the moon, really. It's yeah. like one of those things where you follow all the films that come out every year. You try and watch any film you can. You hear about it when they get reviews. You then go to the cinema. It's just like... It really makes the hard work and fear of people dying in snow off the side of a mountain worth it. <laughs> that is true. My my last question, because I know we are in a junket and you have other interviews interviews to do beyond this. Um, I also programme a film festival, a horror film festival, the, the Dark Hedges here in Belfast. And one of the things I'm interested in is women making horror. And that idea, is that something that you came into this project and in your own company? Was that something that was conscious to yourself? And kind of, we always hear, that I think it's, the figure might be about 80% of first time female filmmakers, they don't get the opportunity to make a second feature. Was, was that something that was in your head when you, not only this feature, but your own shorts as creating, you know, um, a benchmark for filmmakers to jump onto, to be able to showcase their work? We've always supported, we've always been excited by what short films can do leading into features and, and you know, testing out ideas, but also giving opportunity, opportunity to, um, to filmmakers and particularly female filmmakers. For us, making a female-led horror with women right at the helm is just such an exciting prospect. And I think it gives women a chance to to give the female protagonists and characters in their in their films real um, like depth and and complex characters rather than always being this victim, you know, that yeah. has been previously in traditional horror films. So it's just yeah, really exciting for us to make horror. We love it. It's yeah. highly creative. Yeah. Stunts, blood, <laughs> scares, like script, all of it's just a lot of fun. You are preaching to the converted, so we, yeah, you it. definitely know that here. But another thing I do want to mention, you also have a, a female DOP, and I think the, the cinematography in this is absolutely outstanding. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, um, I have to say. But just kind of, I know I jumped in there, April, before she you She nailed can. it. She nailed yeah. it, Martina. Yeah. She was fantastic. I worked her a few times. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very talented. Uh, all I was going to add is... Um, that I can't find a good enough way to articulate this at the moment, but uh, we we always we always prioritise making sure uh, we're, we're actively looking for diversity, whether that's gender, sexuality, disability. But at the same time, it it also doesn't come into our mind because we just do it. So it's it's very strange. And I think because of how Sarah and I started, and because of the the landscape of where we started and now living through the Me Too movement. Um, it starts with us, you know, as producers, it starts with us choosing the right story straight off the bat, you know, before we even get people attached to it. It's making sure we're choosing a story which hasn't been told before, underrepresented uh, voices. Are we going to be able to teach someone um, a different uh, perspective with this? And then it trickles down from there. Mm. 
Fantastic. Look, I would love to be able to talk to you a lot longer than this. But as I said, I know that you, this is a junket here at the London Film Festival. <laughs> so I shall have to leave it here. So thank you very much, April. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank and you. good luck with Rose. I love yeah, story. good luck with your festival as well, Jim. Keep going. It's great. I'm, I'm going to need it, but say no more about that. <laughs> but thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>that's my interview with Sarah Huxley and April Kelly, the producers of Rose, A Love Story. And we're now going to chat about the film, share our thoughts. And I'm joined by Claire McCulloch from the Ormo Community Cinema. Hello to you, Claire. Hello. The last time we had, I, I can't remember, I think we had you on just a general chat about cinemas reopening, I think, if I'm right, Claire. Mm-hmm. That was back in July, wasn't it? It feels like a lifetime ago, you know, <laughs> cinemas were reopening and now we're going into circuit breakers, you know, let's, you know, have you been to the cinema, Claire? Have you got a chance during that time to get back to the cinema? No, I'm really bad. I actually didn't get a chance at all and I'm kicking myself completely um, and I feel really bad about it and I don't really want to talk about it that much because I'm guilty, <laughs> very guilty. No, no one's going to... No one's going to judge you. Shame, shame. Yeah, shame on me. No one's going to judge I genuinely thought from that last recording, Claire, that, you know, we had left you, that literally if cinemas had reopened the next day, you would have charged in and got your ticket, but but clearly not. not, Yeah, it it should have happened. I think I I was waiting for... um, Basically, I I said to myself, I was going to wait till Halloween whenever, like, everything was all the scary movies, all the thrillers and stuff were coming out. And then I got really excited about James Bond as well. And then that got put back and just, yeah, no excuses. No excuses at all. Okay, we're not going to judge you, Claire. I don't, well, I'm not going to judge you. I don't know about my other guest. That is a local blogger, Neil Sedgwick. So hello to you, Neil. Neil, we haven't had you on, I think, since Parasite, I think was the last time. yeah. That, that feels like a lifetime ago, Neil. We were actually able to physically meet in a room and chat about Parasite, yeah. a.k.a. Parasite. You know, the, the proposed Northern Irish remake of Parasite, it hasn't gone away. You know, it's a bit like Jerry Adams. It hasn't gone mm-hmm. away. It, it will come back at some point. We just, you know, need to get the funds to do it. But, you know, I was talking to Claire there about cinemas and being back to cinema. Have you been back to cinemas yet, Neil? Or, and, and as a parent, have you had the, the kids to cinema? Um, no, the kids haven't been, uh, actually, but I have been, um, I went to see Tenet, uh, and then we had the, the rather sad experience of the Bill and Ted, um, oh, yeah. Bill and Ted <laughs> Face the Music that, that evening, uh, as a press show, but that, that's been it, I've kind of, um, not, not really been myself much, there ha- to be honest, there hasn't been much that has made me has made me has drawn me towards the cinema. Uh, Tenet aside, um, and the way the world is now, there's just so much opportunity to see things other ways that I've kind of taken a bit of an advantage of that. I suppose. Um, I do. I do have a wee itch that I need to go to KFT, and I really kind of need to scratch that because I haven't been there in so long. Um, but yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of stayed in a wee bit and 
uh, use things like the BFI player um, and all the usual online channels. I got a movie subscription. Movie? Movie. Did I say movie or movie? Mr. Sedgwick, you have went full cinematic hipster, my friend. You know, you've got movie, BFI player. I'm just going to sit and enjoy it with my chai latte and uh, chill out, or maybe my homebrew beer. Really into Belgian comedy now? Yeah, that's... Is um, movie the one that... um, Sorry, is movie the one that, like, sends you out DVDs each month? Or what's the name of that one? Was it, like, Love Film or something, or...? It was Love Film back That in was the Love Film. Yeah. That, that, that was like back film. in the 90s, Claire. You know, remember DVDs and VHS? That was a long, <laughs> long time ago. Yeah. You know, I... How long, like how long have you been in isolation? You know, have you went like tenant? Have you inverse <laughs> time and went back to a time when you can, you can actually get your hands on physical media? Come on. Like, you know, get, get with well, the time. I think that's okay. That's all. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's okay. But you know, Neil, I, I I'd forgotten about this because I know I got. I know you and I went to see the press screen. It wasn't like you and I on our own. There was other people there. Went yeah. to see Bill and Ted face the music, and I came out of it quite grumpy. And I know we've done a podcast where we talked about this, and I was quite grumpy about Bill and Ted face the music. But Claire, Neil was very very grumpy. I think the exact term oh. that I remember being muttered by <laughs> Mr. Sedgwick as he came out with his Cine Punk branded face mask firmly on because Neil is a responsible adult. I think the term was that's gonna save cinema. <laughs> no, and then just marched on. You you were not a happy bunny that night. No, I I don't think I've ever seen anything that has disappointed me so much in so long. Um I really did not enjoy any of it. And I, I had I had fears about the, the whole Bill and Ted. Look, here's the thing on the Bill and Ted thing, right? <laughs> when when fans really want something, there are times when I feel like the stars and the studios need to step in and go, guys, it's it's not a good idea. And I felt like everybody involved with Bill and Ted Face the Music had a real love for it and really wanted to make this really, really great film for for the fans and, and for everybody. And I just came away thinking it was an absolute stinker. From from five minutes in, I was like, nope, I'm done here. So this, you were right, you were right by the time they started to play bagpipes, is what you're saying. <laughs> I was spoiler. I was done. I was done by minute five. Okay. Probably. Yeah, massive spoiler. <laughs> they tried to play bagpipes. I wasn't um I wasn't as angry I just, as I just you. didn't really enjoy any of it. I, I wasn't as angry as you, but I didn't enjoy it. I have to admit that. And I think I said on the podcast when we did our chat about it was that because it has surprised me. It's got a lot of good reviews and a lot of positive reviews by a lot of critics, yeah. <clears throat> Mark Kermode and Simon Brew, that I really respect. And I, I was surprised mm-hmm. by that, but that everything they talk about it, I agree with and can't deny that it's a film made with the best of intentions and it's got, you know, so many multifaceted levels of representation. And, you know, we have an androgynous mm-hmm. character front and center and there's no fuss about it and it's all great but 
as an actual piece of film, it's a mess. As an actual, you know, in terms of its editing and its storyline and its narrative, it is, as Neil said, the I think the technical term is stinker. There's no denying that. But, you know, you were grumpy about that. But uh, what about Tenet? We haven't heard your thoughts on Tenet. Um, well, I've seen it once. So everybody's line with Tenet is, I need to go and see it again. Uh, and I think that probably holds for me a wee bit too. But I did I did really enjoy it. And there, like, there were moments where I thought, oh, I, I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. I know where this is going. And then things happen in the gap and you go, oh, no, that can't happen now. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out they happen which is a really rubbish review. <laughs> but it, 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 it's, really hard, it's a really hard film to talk about without spoiling or giving too much away, yeah. even though you don't fully understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I know what you mean. There is an assumption that you... There is an assumption with Tenet and with a lot of Christopher Nolan films that you as the audience are expected to catch up and, and to keep up with what's going on. And when I went to see Inception, and the scary thing about Inception is it's 10, 10 years. plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, yeah. Um, and at the end of Inception, no spoilers, but when the top the top is spinning mm-hmm. and it cuts to black, I was in the cinema and a, a very Belfast voice in the row behind me went, what the f- was that about? <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Tenet with that guy. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have taken him out for night to see Tenet. Because if, if, if you feel like Inception was a hard thing to tag along with, Tenet's like a level up from that. Um, and there's good points to that, but there's also bad points to that because it'll turn people off mm. very easily. Um, but equally for those who who love that type of thing, it'll really gives you that wee bit of cinematic buzz and it was lovely it was lovely to go and see it as kind of my return to cinema big screen all the visuals of it highly impressive um but definitely to get a full appreciation of what's going on and um, it's going to take another watch or maybe more i would agree with you because i was quite cold on it first time round, and i went with my cousin to see it well, actually, I had to go three times because the second time I walked out halfway through because, as we said in this podcast a couple of times, cinema might be back, but so too are the cinema wankers. They're sadly back. And, <laughs> you know, and clearly the time it's been away, the six months or whatever it was, that cinemas were closed. You know, they've learned to kind of that cinema and the cinema environment is just your living room and you can talk and be on the phone and take pictures. And I just I walked out. And I'm sorry to mention the Odeon, that's where I was, but we have a good relationship with the Odeon and some of the staff there and the management, but uh, it was terrible. And I then came back on an early morning. I was off. There was me and one other person in the cinema. The way it should be. Okay, okay, I do love shoulder to shoulder watching stuff when it's all a good audience, but just there's nothing better. Do like a Sunday morning, you go to the cinema, there's maybe you and four other people, and it's nice and quiet, and you enjoy it. And it's that good that even as you come out, those four people or other four people, one of them maybe stops. What do you think? And you have a wee chat. That's what I love. And the the technically the third time round of watching it, I actually really really like it i like it a lot more but the first time out of it i came out of it really cold and just kind of i know you're you don't want to talk about it claire but tenant 
wasn't enough to to tempt you back at all like are you not a nolan fan or was just kind of no 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 i actually um i I really like nolan um i was really tempted by tenant and i was kind of thinking about it and then i went on twitter and everyone was talking about just what like some people were like oh it's the best film ever it was really good and then other people were like what was that and then people were like if you say that you understood what happened in Tenant the first time watching it then you're lying and I was like oh no I don't know if I can I can watch a film like that (laughs) I didn't have that issue like Neil did you have that I mean I I understood it I came out of it I was quite perplexed by that in terms of certain things that were going on i don't want to be spoilerific i never had an issue with understanding the plot my issue with it was with the film was it didn't feel symmetric to me in terms of i know it's not time travel and chris nolan will come and hit me over the head if i mention that tenet is a time travel film it's time inversion but watching it for as i say technically the third time there's actually a lovely bit of symmetry to it that i did not pick up on Mm. And I, the thing about it is, it's it's truthfully, it's impossible, and I'm not going to be any, I'm not going to be spoilerific. It's impossible to to pick up on the symmetry of it first time watching it, but when you watch it the second time, it's just a nice little hmm chubby hmm moment. You're like, oh, okay, I get this now. I I see that it's much more symmetric and resolves itself much more thoroughly than what I thought it did. But I I never at any point didn't have an issue with understanding it. I didn't have an issue too much with i know some people had issues about hearing things i think that's just the case that you just have to pay attention you can't be kind of sitting on your phone or kind of looking around just pay attention to the bloody thing when it's on the on the screen did, but did you i mean that was kind of a rambly question yeah. but did you understand it Neil? i i wasn't confused but were you yeah i think so <laughs> <laughs> i think i think i understood um i i yeah i didn't really have any issues at the time um I, I did have a moment. I will confess that I did. I did have to have a toilet break, so that's not ideal in in a film like that. <laughs> um, and I thought, right, okay, it's an action sequence. Nothing major will happen here. And I like I was going for two or three minutes, and I did come back in and kind of go, oh, we've we've jumped significantly here. Um, and it took me a wee while to catch up, but that was probably the only thing. I also didn't have the sound issue. Um, no. I was at my, my local uh, Omniplex downloaded for me and I would tell you it was perfect. I, I got everything. So I, I don't quite know where that um, that line comes from. But uh, yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. I'll definitely. I, there is, I have seen theories out there again. Twitter is not the ideal place because you never know no. what to trust. But I have. I have seen theories out there that if you watch it from the end backwards, because the whole thing kind of is symmetric and a bit of a palindrome, you can do the same film. Mm, but I know what you mean. In reverse order. Mm, I've, watched it, sense, I've watched it a couple of times. I wouldn't. There's a dialogue problem there. Yeah, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. That, but it's just there's there's a there's a thing that I noticed. When I watched it, I'm going to say the second time round that I you, you would be completely oblivious to, you wouldn't understand why it's why it's there, why the camera looks at something the first time round, 
It's only when you've watched the film the second time. And it's, it doesn't affect your understanding of it. It doesn't affect, you know, because I know we've had a constant discussion on this podcast. You know, if a film, if you watch a film and you don't understand it, has it failed? You know, we talk about films like Hereditary. I know we're going to be talking about a horror film tonight with Rose, a love story. It's a very different type of film to Hereditary. Am I okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're okay. Jim's gone. Oh, right. oh it's okay. You had, a, you had a bit of a freeze. You fell, you fell down the palm, didn't you? That's okay. You, you you inverted time. You're back with Love Film. That's what it is. You're taking your DVDs back. <laughs> but um, no, I, I as I said, it's it's just there's a, a thing in at the start of Tenet when you've watched it the first time round, you may or may not pick up on, and it was just completely by chance. But anyway, let's not talk about Tenet. It was just because I have I've hadn't had you on for a while, Neil, and I haven't had Claire. Like I mean, I know you're saying you haven't been to the cinema, but what have you been watching at home? Okay, so I watched The Haunting of Bly Manor there at the weekend, um, which, do you know what, the first five um, episodes I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. Um, I was really on edge. It was like, right, so Neil, basically, I'm not very good with scary films or horror in general. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a psychological thriller kind of gal. Um, uh, like a murder mystery but anything where there's a bit of like say ghosts or <laughs> horror and I freak out so um like so the the haunting of hill house like oh my goodness that terrified me completely so I thought this was going to be another one of them and it was the first five episodes were terrifying and um I was really on edge I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown and then I don't know what happened to the rest of it but um there's an episode I don't want to spoil it for you but uh, there is an episode where it's in black and white and it's just so repetitive that I was like, is this over? Please be over, like begging it to be over. Um, apart from that, um, so I'm sort of over Gordon Ramsay now and I've moved on to Paul Never. Hollywood and I've started watching <laughs> Bake Off. I, I feel, you know, the last time we had you on, there was a lot of love. There was a lot of th- many things for Gordon Ramsay, and you've just you've just dropped him, Claire, and you've moved on to like Paul Hollywood does have dreamy eyes. Like, I mean, even I would be like, oh, and I mean, yeah. nothing, nothing in my life would give me more satisfaction than a handshake from Paul Hollywood. I just want to just meet him somewhere and just shake his hand and just be like, yes. But you've yeah. moved. You've just you, you Gordon's just kind of yesterday's man. It's all about Paul Hollywood now. Now, I still like obviously really appreciate Gordon Ramsay and he will still probably be number one and uh, he, he was my first love and now you know I'm moving on to the second <laughs> and this is Paul Hollywood and Bake Off, Bake Off is mm. flip it's intense like you know <laughs> I'm hooked. <laughs> I am a Bake Off fan and do you know what it is I mean my lovely wife made the point I think because of the fact that they have been in this bubble it means that you don't have to have social distancing so it's just nice to be able to see like groups of people and you know the paul hollywood handshake and all that stuff and it's 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 nice it's a nice thing to do on a tuesday evening come home and have an excuse for cake or chocolate this week because it was chocolate (laughs) week um neil are you neil what who's your favorite celebrity chef my favorite celebrity chef um oh i don't know if i have one (laughs) Everybody has I'm, one. I'm not. I'm not a big. I'm not a big cooking show person. It probably was Gordon Ramsay at one stage, though. Yeah. Just because, like, if you ever do need inventive swearing to add to your <laughs> kind of rotation, Gordon's your guy. 
Uh, I'll know? always, I'll always um, be honest with poor old Jamie, Jamie Oliver. He's, you know, good old Essex lad, and you know what, pucka, and all that stuff. Every Christmas, I watch the Jamie Oliver Christmas show to get ideas for uh, watching my wife cook Christmas dinner. Like, yeah, you should do that. He got rid of Turkey Twizzlers, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> this sounds like Claire, like it's coming from a real honest place from you. It was just like you, you didn't think about that at all. It was like you're just sounds like someone that's just like. I love turkey twizzlers and Jamie got rid of them. <laughs> I've actually never had them, but there was full total outrage, wasn't there, whenever he got rid of them? I just <laughs> remember my favorite bit of that whole documentary. This is going back. Yeah, at some point we will, listeners and viewers, talk about, you know, Rose, a love story. But I do remember vividly that in that TV series or that documentary series that he made, wasn't it the bit where like the kids were getting the parents to smuggle in like fast food because they didn't like the food? I was like, come on, kids. Or or was it Jamie crying just because they wouldn't eat his food? Oh well. Anyway. <laughs> in a in a I don't know how I'm gonna do this gracefully other than saying, guys, Rose, a love story. What did you think? We we had the producers on, they were talking about the, the film. It's just had its world premiere at the London Film Festival. It's directed by Jennifer Sheridan and it stars Matthew Stucco and Sophie Rundle as Sam and Rose as a couple out in the woods. I don't know how much we really want to say. I know the producers were saying that the the vampiric elements of this film have slipped out that was something they did want to hold back but it slipped out into the press and in a lot of the reviews so I guess we can talk about that but uh, as I said it's just had its world premiere uh, London Film Festival is all digital this year their screenings throughout we've been sent a lovely screener so I'm going to start with you Claire I know you were talking earlier on about liking psychological horror so I'm not sure whether that that feeds into you know whether you are going to have positive thoughts or negative thoughts towards this film. But generally, before we get get into the specifics, what did you think of the film? I just want to thank you to start off with for not sending me to the cinema to see Saint Maud. Um, I will forever be grateful. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't sure, like. And whenever I watched the trailer for it, um, I wasn't too sure what I was going to think of it, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. And I liked the sort of the vampire aspect mm -hmm. of it because I just finished a vampire book yesterday as well. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The acting was good. I... I really liked it too. I was surprised by, um, you know, I wasn't actually aware when I was sent the screener that it was a, a British horror. It looked very mm -hmm. American from its production notes and the stills. And I was surprised, you know, the the couple that are front and centre of this, the the actor who plays Sam is also the film's writer. And the, the two leads are a couple in real life. And there's genuine you get a genuine sense of uh, of a real dynamic between the two and a chemistry between the two that you can't fake. And there's a lot of things I, I want to come back to to talk about, but I was surprised at how much I liked this and how impressed I was for a first-time feature by Jennifer Sheridan. And the fact that it reminded me of stuff to an extent like Leave No Trace, which is a film I absolutely adore, there's, I'm not saying it's similar, but there's elements of it in that film's DNA. But that's enough of me rambling. Neil, what about you? 
Yeah, three for three. I really enjoyed it. Um, I I went in cold to it, so I didn't uh, go looking for any info or anything. I just hit the screener link and went. Um, and and we're talking about the vampiric bit. It's a real shame that that stuff has leaked out. Mm. Um, because I think once you know where you're going down that road, it's it's not it's it's almost going to be detrimental to it that mm. people know that that ultimately is the thing going in. Because when I started watching it, and you see this this isolated house, and they're keeping lights on, and there's ultraviolet lights around the place, and there's um, a jar with leeches and you're really, it, it's like really unclear what the problem is. You're aware that she has some kind of issue, whether it's an allergy to light or natural light or whatever the thing is. And it's only in the kind of, you get a, you get a sense of what's happening. Um, and it's only in the kind of final throws that that, that vampiric bit really gets, front and center attention so it's a shame that people couldn't hold that away when talking about it um but i i really liked it i unlike you i was impressed with the production of it and things like that because that kind of forest scape that they live in reminds you of leave no trace and that kind of very um distant woodland place and it felt like it was set to me watching it it felt like it was set in some american backwood town but was just inhabited by chance by all this this like small english community (laughs) and uh i uh, yeah i'm i'm not really a horror person myself um because i'm a big wuss and i don't i don't like being scared um but i the thing that stood out for me was the relationship between the two yeah um and that that was really powerful really well done it's it's interesting to know that they actually are a couple yeah. um because like you say that's a very difficult thing to um to kind of generate um like you could feel you could feel the love between the two of them um it, it felt very authentic um and it, do you know what was really nice too it was an hour and a half mm-hmm. and it was a very small, like it's very rare to see something. When I after I watched it, I went to IMDb. There are five people listed as characters in this, mm-hmm. which yeah. is the two, two leads, the third party who comes into the house at one point, and then two other incidental characters, um, and that's it. It's a handful of people in this. And I kind of thought, for what you've done with what I presume to be a relatively small budget, you've made something really tight, really compact, really well told, and with really strong writing and characters and everything. So yeah, I would, I would yeah, you yeah. can probably tell. I'm a bigger fan of this than I am Bill and Ted, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think... You know, come. You know, I don't want to come back to Bill and Ted, but Bill and Ted for me was a film that just felt like it was pulled in in too many ways and had too many narratives going on and never settled on itself. This is a film that knows right from the get go what it wants to be, the story that it wants to tell, and whilst people will pick up on because they don't mention, there's no reference. You know, it's a bit like Shaun of the Dead. We're not mentioning the Z word. We're not mentioning zombies. They never mention. <laughs> 
vampires. They never mention anything like that. And it, it is telegraphed quite early on that that's the, the kind of strand that it's going down. That's the strand in its DNA. Neil mentioned leeches. And then we see the, the character of Sam kind of quite, quite calmly sitting reading a book in his little room and just letting these leeches go at his leg. And then, you know, there's a, a scene moments later with, uh, I don't even think Gordon Ramsay would serve that up. That I, I don't think Gordon, I don't even, I don't even know Paul, yeah. Paul Hollywood would serve that up, but it, it, it was really effective. But what I love about, and it's the thing I like about all horror is that whether it is a film that, that deals and has vampirism and elements of vampire in its DNA, it's not a film about vampirism. It's a film you could look at about terminal illness and sickness. And I think that's quite relevant you know, I, I think I said in the interview with the producers, I think, you know, there's, it's ironic that this film finished its production in March. Now, that's like post and stuff. That's not filming. But, uh, you know, you think in March when we went into lockdown, like Sam and Rose would be the social distance and champions of 2020. I think they would even give Jack Torrance possibly a run for his money for social distance and champions. But it's the fact that it's that sense you have these two people and and it is you know i, I like the fact i think it's called rose on imdb it's been added in with the double like the double barrel like yeah. a love story and it is very much it's a horror film but it is a love story and i i don't want to say it but there's elements of twilight in its dna and i have no problem with Twilight. i know there are people that do not like twilight i'm I'm not one of them. I don't love it. I don't kind of want to watch it. I'm not like my wife who wants to watch it religiously. Well, actually, she's more Hunger Games than Twilight. But I I don't I don't have an issue with people liking Twilight. But there's definitely elements of that, whether people will see that as a positive or not in its DNA, this, this love story. But front and centre, it's a story about sickness and living with someone who is is suffering from a, a terminal illness. And you look at it in the sense that Sam's character does not see the changes in Rose. He sees Rose. It's only when we have the introduction of the other character known as, I think Amber, she's called, that she kind of, like, she straight away is like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so pale? You know, what? what, what is there's something not right here? You know, and that's, you know, having... Being in a situation where I've, I've I've lived with people who suffer from like very different, but like dementia and things like that, where you're in close contact and you don't see the changes, and somebody else comes in who maybe hasn't seen that person for months on end, can instantly see the changes. Just there was things like that that I picked up that I I'm rambling, I know, but I was really positive about this because it's a film that from the ground up from every level, from its cinematography, which is stunning. I forget the name. I think it's uh, Martina Knitter. Um, I apologize if I'm getting that lady's name wrong, is doing the, the cinematography in this project. It's 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 great. It knows exactly from every level. It, everybody is on the same wavelength and knows what it wants to do, which is in stark comparison to a film like Neil that we've mentioned Bill and Ted face music. That's enough of me rambling. You know, guys, feel free to intersect, uh, interject and see you know, what else you want to talk about or praise within the film. I, I find it really interesting, actually, with um, the character Sam, you know, whenever Amber actually comes into, into the uh, 
the film um, and he actually becomes the moody one the mm. words you would have thought it would have been the other way around you know with Rose's character having been like a vampire you wouldn't expect her to be I don't I don't know it just the it was kind of like a paradox was it is that the right word mm-hmm. you know he took on the sort of moody isolated angry character whereas you would have thought that maybe she would have been like that with change and another person in the mix I thought that was quite interesting how they did that and it worked really well yeah yeah I, I would totally agree I mean we see that change in dynamic and it it becomes the catalyst for change and you know that's a kind of tried and tested you know film element like another film I was thinking about when I was watching this particularly the second time I've watched this twice now because I enjoyed it and it's as you said Neil it's an hour and a half so you can watch it again it's not like two and a half hours of bloody bloodiness but um it reminded me a lot of it comes at night and there is another film where we have a group of people that are in a routine and they're in a well in that sense it's a kind of dystopian future well kind of there's been a viral outbreak bad stuff has happened it sounds a bit like 2020 but let's not go there and we see how the introduction of a different character can become the catalyst for change and how things ramp up. And as you say, Claire, you know, Rose, for everything that appears to be wrong with her, she seems to be at times in more control over the situation. It's actually uh-huh. Sam that it's there's a sense that he has he has become controlling of this. You know, everything is rationed. Like he loses the rag over porridge over the rations of porridge <laughs> and how that throws him off. But how, you know, the daily routine, like there's even a scene earlier on where he just wants her to eat. It's granted, as I said earlier on, I wouldn't necessarily want to eat what she's eaten. That's all we'll say. But he wants her to, he wants to get her into this routine because it's the idea of routine will, will keep her at max at, in the best possible health and the best condition for their relationship to flourish. And even I think for me, the scene when I watch it the second time that works so well is the scene where they go on date night and it's just a walk through the forest. And it's just, it's, it comes back to that point where you can't fake that chemistry. And it actually, to the extent, extent feels like the camera is rolled and they're just talking. It doesn't feel scripted. And they're talking, I think there's a line about fancy fruit and they're kind of talking about this, that and the other. And it's just this lovely scene where they're walking through the forest. And I, yeah, I, it's kind of a bad podcast because none of us are disagreeing. You know, when none of us are saying one of us, usually someone says, Oh, I hated it or I loved it. But uh, Neil, come on. What else do you want to talk about? Come on, find something that you can criticize that we can all fall out on here. I don't, I don't really know if there's anything that stands out as particularly negative about it. <laughs> I was being but facetious. I, I think I, I did. I did wonder at one point during it if if it's the type of thing you can do in a short. Mm. Um, it it had it had in some ways to be the feeling of a short film extended out. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a part of me that is is going back on myself because I'm praising it for being ninety minutes. Because, you know, it's, it's that old saying of, do you want to watch The Irishman? It's three and a half hours. Do you want to watch this? It's an hour and a half and we can go to bed. Do you know, like, I'll take the hour and a half. But it did it did feel as well as something you could do 
in a shorter time scale. I, I, I also liked the, the actual final reveal, even though you know where we're heading. You don't know when that full reveal is coming. So there was a scene where they are sitting peeling potatoes. And I was like, oh, here we go. She's going to neck herself with a potato peeler. And then it's going to all kick off. And it held there. And I thought, oh, you could, it's almost like, the, the, it's so it's so well done that it, it's almost teasing you into that kind of trigger pull moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also really liked, there was just a little tiny, um, uh, almost epilogue at the end, which I'll not say anything about, but I really liked that because it has the potential then to be a, there is there is a potential not for a sequel but you know you know at that point that this story hasn't fully finished mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a nice um, kind of really nice. and it doesn't mean it, yeah oh sorry no, no i'm just gonna say mean it, that i want rose a love story too it just means it's really nice to have that and then cut we know this is not done and i'm content with that that makes sense yeah it's it's what i love in horror it's a bloody great downbeat ending and you know some of the great horrors <laughs> are, are like that you know you think of stuff like uh you know like i think is it invasion the body snatchers and stuff like that with donald sutherland turning around and squealing at people you know this this fact that you've tried to you know bring him back into 2020 and the fact that we've had this pandemic and the fact that there's been a viral infection and people have tried to control this because while this is a film about you know, vampirism at one element and terminal illness. It's also a film about trying to control and trying to contain what is essentially uh, an infectious disease in some sense. And, you know, you see the inevitability that you can try your best. You can go out as far as you want into the woods, into the middle of nowhere in the summer that if I walked about, having recently been about at Ballyboley Forest to do a bit of filming at like eight o'clock at night in the dark and had scared myself shitless i i would not want to be out in that forest in the middle of the night but it's that sense of you can go as far as you want and get away from things but the inevitability that you cannot control these things and eventually they will they you will lose control and you see that in the situation in the way the finale resolves itself and as neil said that little epilogue where you go yeah as they say, the technical term is shit's about to go, or the, the shit's about to hit the fan, I think is the technical term that most medical professionals would, would use. Was that something, <laughs> like, like Claire, for you, I mean, I know you were kind of talking about psychological horror and things like that, and I know Neil has said he's not a horror fan. It's only because you, you mentioned this artist, we were going to talk about St. Maud, uh, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been to see it, I've seen it in the cinema, I've seen it twice, seen it in London last year, seen it in the cinema when it came out. I really like that. That is... A psychological horror but at the same time it's not a horror in the mode of you held up earlier on a copy of trick-or-treat it's not like that it's not like something you would see from you know the warrens facing off in the conjuring films it's not that type of horror in the same way this isn't that type of horror do you think like this is not going to be something and i think you know well god knows what is actually going to be in the cinemas in the months and year ahead but this is not like a multiplex, an omniplex, or a movie house, or Odeon, you know, other cinemas are available. This is something I think would find its home at the QFT. It's it's mm-hmm. a more indie, left-field horror. It's not mainstream 
horror i think if you go to show this to horror audience they will think it's maybe going to go down one way but it's not but in my long typical rambly way you know that that downbeat ending is that something that you particularly like are you a fan of that in in horror because in the psychological strand of horror genre of the horror genre that is quite common you know we think of stuff like hereditary that is a downbeat ending if ever there is one but let's not go there but is that something you particularly like in this film and something do you want as a as as in, in your film do you want everything to be resolved nice and neatly to know that the world is safe again and that everything as they say everything will be all right in the end whilst in this as i said the technical term is the shit has hit the fan I I actually liked the ending. I liked how it was extremely sudden. Um, like Neil was saying, you know, there was quite a lot of teasing elements and there was a lot of build up and you didn't for that, you you actually didn't expect it to be so sudden then. You like it it just came out of nowhere and I really enjoyed it and I was like, yes, yes. And um I actually do you know what? I, I wanted it to be a little bit gorier if um if they could have done that. Like that's I think that's my only sort of problem with it. They could have gone a wee bit gorier with it. And that's coming from someone that doesn't really like horror that much and doesn't really like gore. But they but then it, it's quite nice how they they didn't go totally hardcore with it, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a scene um, there's a scene with a bear I, trap. I there's a scene with a bear trap. Oh, flip that was hard to watch. Yeah. That isn't gory. And it's it's that wonderful thing with you know your cinematography and your editing. You see in your mind's eye, you see in your head what you think you see, but in the reality, you haven't seen that much. You've literally seen a, a blood-soaked pair of jeans. I'm trying to be as unspoilerific as I can. But it's that say like watching it both times, I did find myself I'm I'm not good with that type of stuff anyway, but I find myself flinching each time and it's effective. But yet, you know, I'm someone who loves the boys on Amazon Prime. I mean, there is something that is just the definition <laughs> of over-the-top violence. I'm kind of desensitized to that. That doesn't have an effect on me. Depends how it's shot and depends, you know, how it's been handled on screen with the editing and with the, the soundtrack. That all makes a kind of sense of creating the tone and atmosphere. But the fact that I would kind of disagree that I'm glad it didn't go ultraviolet in a way. Mm-hmm. But yet when it wants to be, it's not that it doesn't have teeth, but it knows exactly how to force a reaction out of us as a viewer. And that sequence with the bear trap, despite showing you very little it's it's a bit like uh, it's 127 hours the Danny Boyle film where there's that the, the iconic scenes where he's kind of cutting cutting oh, off yes. something you really don't want to be cutting off and again you don't see anything it's all you know in your head and how the shot's set up and how it's been framed and edited and like Neil I, I know you're saying you're a wuss but did you find that tough the fact that even though we don't see very much I think I think with things like that, I think they are more horrific because there is, no matter how slim, there is a chance that that could actually happen. So when you're dealing when you're dealing with the boys, that that is pure comic book mm. violence and gore and splatter and all that stuff. I'm not saying if I go into the woods, I'm going to walk through a bear trap, but there is the potential for an injury like that or something similar to happen 
And when something is is more realistic, it almost becomes more scary. Yeah. So 127 hours, I could have an accident on a hike like that. And something like that happened. Do you know, like, but it, it's, it's why things like um, Final Destination became cartoonish. Because the first time they made that film, the, the incidents were not all, but some of them were kind of more realistic, if that makes sense. And then by the end of it, you literally have bits of fenced wire flying across and going through people like a yeah. Wile E. Coyote cartoon. And it, it, it ended up taking away from what, what the film, the, the shock factor of it. Yeah. Um, because it's because there's nothing, there's nothing more shocking than something that could potentially be a reality. Yeah, it's it's that sense that you know the film's built around the kills. It's moving on to the next over elaborate kill. That that's not that's not the type of film we're watching here. But you know, do you think I don't no. know? I haven't seen the trailer, Claire, but you have. I mean, does the trailer in any way mislead you? And I, I'm thinking back to the film I mentioned earlier on. It comes at night. I sat in uh, I think it was the Omniplex and watching that film with an audience who actively hated it who actively wanted to ch- at the end of the film collectively en masse got up out of their seat and couldn't wait to get out because they were that annoyed because they thought it was going to be a film like The Conjure and it was going to be that type of film and when you look at the trailer that's what it was sold as you think that there is a, a monster an actual physical monster outside lurking about it's when it gets the sense that the, the thing that it comes at night is is paranoia and our mistrust of our fellow man, that's our, 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 our uh, the mistrust of our fellow men and women, just to be PC. And that's that's what I love that in that film, but I never saw the trailer. I went in blind, like Neil said about this, and adored it. But people who clearly went there thinking it was a trailer, having watched the trailer, you know, does the film sell itself as much more of of an outright horror because we know that marketing men and women will sell their souls to get you to go get your bum on bum on the seat at the cinema or you know rent or premium rent whatever it is these days whatever the kids are doing these days so having watched the trailer does that trailer sell you the film you watched do you what with the trailer I felt it focused on a lot of isolation. So the isolation between the couple being out in the woods, um, it focused on them, their routine. Now there was a few shots in the trailer of, um, you know, the leeches. Mm. And it really made me wonder, because I was like, what, what is that? Now, I don't remember the trailer focusing too badly on the vampire elements, mm. but it did it lured you into something unsettling, like something unsettling was happening between these two, but you weren't quite sure what it was. Now, maybe someone smarter would have seen the leeches and would have thought vampires. Um, I saw the leeches and I was like, Flip, what the hell would you be doing with leeches? <laughs> you know, um, I was like, what? But, um, you know, someone else could have caught on to that straight away and been like, oh, vampires to me. I will. I wasn't too quick on that one. <laughs> Did you not, Claire, when you were watching it, by the sounds of it, maybe go like a typical Belfast granny and go, something's not right about her. Something, <laughs> something's not right about her. Something's not right about him. I, I, I don't know. You know, he keeps, he, he keeps leeches. He keeps leeches in the house. 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't catch those up. <laughs> That's okay, but do you, do you think, Neil, and, and we are going to wrap this up, you know, do you think it benefited you from just going into this? Basically, he's being said, Neil, here, we're going to get you on the pod, watch this, and you didn't see it before, you didn't look at anything, you didn't research at 9DB, you didn't look at trailers, anything. Do you think you, it just benefited you? Because I, I, I love doing that. I love, that's one thing I love about a film festival, when you literally just go, like, at the height, at a normal London film festival, even the Belfast Film Festival, you just go right, boom, I'll go see that. There's like three, four films, I'll go see three films in a row, yeah, boom. And you know, it ends up the film that maybe you were excited about is the one that lets you down, and the one that you were like, right, well, I've got two hours to kill, uh, I'll go see that. I don't know who it is, it's you know, this kind of um love story from Zimbabwe, I don't know, and that ends up being the film that you absolutely adore. Mm. It's that because I mean that's the joy of a festival. That is, you know, I'm I am missing that and watching stuff remotely. It's not the same. It isn't the same. I know the film festival has been screened throughout the UK, which is a great idea, but you know, it's it's not the same and it's it's weird. But you know, I I didn't know anything about this. We were sent the details through from the the press people and got offered an interview with. Sarah and sorry with Sarah and April who I thought were great great to chat with and watch the film and thoroughly enjoyed it so you know whilst Claire researched beforehand do you think you benefited Neil from just going right boom press play yeah I think I think in some ways um I think in some ways because like I said about the the vampire aspect of it that was something that kind of revealed itself and particularly as somebody who isn't a massive horror person so I'm not a massive uh I don't have an extensive knowledge of vampire films and the the kind of signs to look for like Claire was saying like leech jars I'm like I don't really (laughs) like are you trying to you trying to suck something out of somebody I don't know what is this It, it that started sort of didn't really ring any bells with me um and it was yeah it was it was nice to go and see something kind of cold um i think no even, pun in, no pun intended considering it's out in the middle of the wilderness <laughs> <laughs> i think when you um have even uh, a film festival program you still in in the little blurb you still get little things that will maybe pique your interest mm. depending on what you're into um so for me i love i love those things that um kind of play around with religion and faith and things like that i, I enjoy those types of things zip mod. So if <laughs> zip mod. sorry i've got real bad on. cough real bad <laughs> cough <laughs> zip mod I, zip mod sorry 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 <laughs> and uh i th- those will always kind of attract me even if it is just within a title of something um and but but kind of just uh you sent me a link and i was like okay let's go boom and started into it and i really i think i think in this case and particularly with the way in which things are revealed throughout the story and sadly as we said the way it has been reported the film is about the less you know the better 
I know, I, I know we're listening to us the whole way through. Yeah, sadly. you probably know it all. I know, <laughs> I know we're saying that, and we're kind of, we're kind of going like, it's better if you don't know, and then people will go like, hang on, someone will send me a strongly worded email going, you, you bitch about people talking about things, but yet you've talked about it halfway through. So it's like, well, you know what, you know, I'm just not a very good critic. That's the way I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> I really, really like it. I think, I think just because you say something has vampiric quality or there's a vampiric tent quality to or elements to the film's dna i don't think sells it as a vampire film i think there's that because that's the beautiful thing about it's like the zombie genre mm. you can um, you can unpack and take different things from it you from the vampire genre you can take different things from it and i keep coming back to if you're going into this expecting it to be a vampire film it's not it's really not that type of film. And if that's what you've picked up from the press and if that's what you've picked up from another review or from listening to us, that's not the film that the the writer and the director has tried to make. It's just happens to have, as I say, elements of vampire, vampire genre in its DNA. And I I didn't have an element. I, I do see this as a film about isolation. I do this see this as a film about a couple living with terminal illness, terminal illness, and I did find, you know, I think it's because of the world we are in now. You know, when the filmmakers made this, they didn't know we were going to have a pandemic. They didn't know we we're going to have to do a lockdown, the circuit breaker that's just about to hit us here in Northern Ireland, and those then bring in different elements of irony when you're watching it. It's like going, oh God, you know, isolation. You know, tell me about it. You know, I know all about it this year. It's it's just I I think it's a, a really good film. I'm hoping we're talking about this now in October 2020. I'm hoping it's not going to be a long time, whether it's VOD or whether it's on a streaming service or whether it is in a cinema. Yes, listeners. Yes, viewers. They they're still there. You know, they are still there. Some of them are closed now for a while. Some of them are closed during the week and only at weekends, but. If I, I I would definitely recommend to someone, and that, I suppose that's the point where we will bring things to a close. I would definitely recommend someone listening to us or watching us to to seek this out and and watch it. Whether you're a hardened horror fan or whether you just want something that little bit different, I I really liked this. I really did, and I was surprised at how much I liked it. And you know, Claire, would you? I know you have. You're the person. You know, sorry to bring it up again. You haven't been to cinema. I know. But you know, would would you recommend someone? You know, if this was out in the cinema, would this? Would you say this is the thing that Vanderflex is all about? Is the film worth the price of a cinema ticket, off the admission for you? You know, had you watched this at the cinema, you know, or even got it through Love Film back in the day, would you have found that that's your your money's you got your money's worth? Okay, so I think I yeah yeah definitely. Definitely. And I'm hoping like by the time it is actually released that it doesn't feel as relatable to some people, like that we're not still in that form of isolation ourselves, you know. Fingers fingers crossed, fingers everything crossed, you know, hopefully we're gonna be out of this soon. Sorry, though, we'll, all be, we'll have a normal yeah. Christmas. We'll have a normal Christmas. It'll all be good. Neil, what what about you? You know, the big question we always ask with Bandflix, would this film be worth the, the price of your 
cinema admission? Would it be the worth the price of your rental on VOD, your purchase in VOD, or your monthly streaming fee watching this? Whatever it's going to be watching film in you know, the, the, the months and years ahead, do you think this is worth giving a watch? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I say that as somebody who normally wouldn't be drawn to this type of thing. I'm I'm actually really glad that I got to see it. Um because it is something that I would recommend. Whatever whatever format it turns up in, uh, down the road, I think I think it definitely is is worth seeking out um wherever it lands. Um I, I really enjoyed it and as I say, it's not my normal go to, um, but it's it's definitely worth checking out. Perfect. So I think on that note, we've talked about quite a bit this evening. You know, I think there's a bit of everything. We've talked a bit about Love Film. We've talked a bit about Tenet, you know, Wild Stallions. And of course, we've talked about Rose, a love story. And, you know, thanks again to Sarah and April for giving us their time earlier on. So that's pretty much us for this week. So all that's left for me to do now is thank you very much, Claire. Thank you. And very and thank you very much, Neil. Cheers, guys. Good to hang out again. So that's all we've time for in this week's episode of We Need to Talk About Movies. Thanks to our contributors for taking part. I hope you enjoyed the episode too. If you did, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasting fix. And if you really liked it, leave us a lovely review because that helps bring new people to this podcast. And if this was your first time checking out We Need to Talk About Movies, you can find our complete back catalogue on our website. We'll be back next week with another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies. But for now, until then, goodbye. This has been We Need to Talk About Movies. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit banterflix.com. See you next time. <laughs>